This is the Immigration Conversation, presented by Fragament, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world, who will bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. I'm Kenny Lau, partner at Fragment Singapore, and welcome to our first The Immigration Conversation podcast that we're calling the new abnormal in Korean immigration, which is also part of our Asia Pacific Insight series, where we look at the post-COVID immigration landscape across the Asia Pacific region. So today we'll be talking about the new normal in Korean immigration, specifically the changes that have come about after COVID-19. So this should be of particular interest to companies who send foreign talent into South Korea, those in the global mobility and relocation function, and also, of course, to the foreigners who have moved to Korea or have plans to do so. So given the COVID-19 crisis that we're currently in, how has that impacted Korean immigration? And of course, how can Fragment help? So joining me today in this episode is our South Korea team, including our South Korea manager, Angela de Guzman, and senior analyst, Faye Amarado. Hi, Kenny, and to everyone tuned in. Hi, everyone. So as we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic has made its impact felt globally, and immigration and travel, of course, um, has taken one of the biggest hits. Looking at the Asia-Pacific region specifically, South Korea has really stood out as one of the relative success stories with how its government managed the pandemic in a relatively swift and systematic way. Just looking back to February of this year, um, out of nowhere, it seemed that South Korea became a virus hotspot after we saw a huge spike of positive cases in Daegu City. But in less than a month and after an intense program of mass testing and contact tracing, the situation really seemed to be under control with a dramatic reduction in the reported cases. Although, of course, we now have are, are seeing reports of a potential second wave. Um, and in fact, I think South Korea is the first country uh, that has officially declared a second wave. So that said, um, with all that said, it seemed like the country really never panicked about the situation. But was that your sense as well, Angela? Uh, yes, Kenny, I got that sense as well. Um, it actually seems that Korea just sprung to action and rolled out this uh, coordinated program quite swiftly. I think one of the things that set South Korea apart was that while other countries were closing their borders, um, some even going into a complete lockdown, such as what the Philippine government did, South Korea's doors remained open and foreign nationals could still come in. Its consulates have also primarily remained open, unlike those for other countries. Having said that, though, we also want to get the message out there that while Korea does remain open, it is really far from being status quo. I have to echo Angela's point, Kenny. We want to highlight that since COVID-19, we've seen a lot of changes in Korean immigration rules. And as you earlier mentioned, there is now a new normal in South Korea. So I think it's important that we are having this conversation right now um, while we're still in the, in the thick of things. Um, in the countries that we do cover in the Asia Pacific Coordination Center, um, Korea has always been seen as having um, a more stable immigration system. And it's been that way for quite uh, quite a long time, for many years. Um, you mentioned that there have been quite a few changes now with COVID-19, though. Um, has this made the overall process more challenging? Uh, maybe looking first at your perspectives as um, immigration practitioners. I think any all change at the outset requires a period of adjustment, which is, um, I would say, initially challenging. So my short answer to your question would be yes. 
But I would also qualify that by saying that, as in many things, knowing is half the battle. And now that we already know that we are operating under a completely different regulatory framework in Korea, the next step is now to then adjust our old ways of doing things to conform to this so-called new normal. So I know we keep referring to this um, new normal in Korea, but maybe you guys can also describe what the previous system was like uh, so that our listeners can compare. Sure, Kenny. And that's also our approach. So while there have been many changes, I'd say there have been two main categories, namely the first category, longer lead times are now required, which probably concerns the employer perspective more. And the second category, the ease with which foreign nationals could enter into and exit from Korea has now changed, which is probably of greater interest to the foreign national. So I'll let Angela start by describing how it was in the past, pre-COVID-19, and how it is now. Sure, Faye. So for starters, in the past, we could complete a long-term visa case with a brief lead time of about one to two months before the target work start date. But after COVID-19, we now require a lead time of Four months. So sorry to interrupt, Angela. I think that's quite a significant um, change. It's quite a significant jump if you now need twice as much lead time compared to before. No, I agree. It is quite significant. And there are many reasons why that is. One of the reasons um, for that is that under the COVID environment, cases often now need to be re-strategized to anticipate ongoing changes. So what do I mean by this? I'll use as an example one of the most streamlined visa application processes, which is a D8 Corporate Investment Visa, or D8 Visa. So this is a long-term visa applicable for international expat assignments, where the Korean visa sponsor is set up as a subsidiary. Because the standard process for this was an in-country conversion, after we completed the document gathering portion, the employee just needs to enter Korea. So in that case, visa waiver nationals could just enter Korea without the need to apply for an entry visa at a consulate. And after arrival, we could then assist in filing their D8 visa and alien registration applications all in one day. So it was almost a one-stop process, so to speak. Now, how did this streamlined process change after COVID-19? Korean immigration suspended the visa waiver privilege for up to 90 nationals. As such, they would now first need to apply for a consular-issued visa, such as a C4 visa. And that process was also made complicated in uh, most consulates. So a solution we've proposed to clients to address this is to abandon the standard in-country filing application for the D8 visa and instead make use of what is called the Visa Issuance Confirmation Number or VACN route of filing applications. So basically, we would first file a pre-approval application in Korea. And once that is issued, the employee will then need to go to the consulate and then apply for his D8 visa stamp. By doing so, he can avoid having to apply for a C4 visa, which may be more prone to uh, consular discretion and variance. However, by opting for this VICN route, the company has to be aware that there are more requirements and processing time and preparation can be lengthier. So in effect, it is no longer a one-stop process. So Angela, you mentioned the VICN method of filing. And just to give more background, I guess, to uh, our listeners about um, the different categories, um, the VICN method is, um, that that's the standard way to file the D7 intracorporate transfer visa as well. Is that correct? That's right, Kenny. Uh, the VICN is the standard method for filing a D7 visa, as you said. 
In contrast, for the D8 visa, which I just discussed, it is merely a secondary way to file and usually not the preferred way. But under these circumstances, it may now be a better alternative. Um, in addition to Angela's point on the possible need for a change in case strategy, another reason, Kenny, for the longer lead time is the imposition of new COVID-19-related requirements. So prior to COVID-19, in terms of medical requirements, there was only the tuberculosis test, and this was only applicable to nationals of 35 countries. However, now, most consulates are also requiring the submission of COVID-19 test results or a health certificate as part of the visa application process. And we've seen this for both short-term and long-term visa stamping applications at consulates, uh, regardless of the nationality of the applicant. So we're clearly chock full of examples, and I have another one to add to what uh, Faye just mentioned. So some long-term visa applications, such as the E7 local hire visa, require that we submit a legalized or apostled educational degree certificate or a work experience certificate. Now, how has this been affected by COVID-19? So we've had cases where the employee was unable to secure a company-issued work experience certificate due to the lockdown situation in his home country. Also, due to the closure of some consulates and embassies, or they may be operating on a reduced workforce or under reduced uh, work hours, processing times for legalization and apostle requests have taken much longer. So clearly, this now delays our ability to file the application until we can secure the legalized uh, apostle or apostle document. So you, you guys have cited several examples now, and I would imagine you've seen cases uh, where many or even all of these factors, um, a need to change case strategy, the additional COVID-19 requirements, and also legalization and apostille de delays have impacted the process? Uh, yes, we have. Uh, we are seeing it in a good number of our cases. And really, the best way to minimize the impact of these changes, although I guess it sounds simple enough, is to have ample lead time to allow for such contingencies since uh, we can see that there are a lot of moving pieces we now have to look into in each case. Thanks, Angela. Um, Faye, in addition to the longer lead time that employers can now expect, uh, what other significant changes have you seen, um, especially from the foreign nationals perspective? Um, I'd say that the entry and exit of foreigners have been tightened with additional requirements, Kenny. So while Korea remains open to foreign nationals, even at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Korean government implemented several immigration and travel policies to contain the outbreak without totally closing their borders. So since April, they implemented uh, three major policies affecting the ease of entry and exit of travelers. First is the suspension of uh, visa waiver entry. Second is the imposition of quarantine requirements. And third, for those foreign nationals who leave Korea and want to re-enter, they are now required to obtain a re-entry permit and a written medical test from the country they visited. Uh, let's discuss the policy on suspension of visa waiver and visa-free entry first. Again, in early April, the Korean government suspended the visa, visa waiver and visa-free entry privileges of foreign nationals of um, around 90 countries, including countries such as uh, Canada, Australia, Singapore. Further, with the exception of the C4 short-term employment visa, short-term consular visas that were issued on or before April 5, 2020 were deemed cancelled. So this meant that any foreign national holding such visas, which were issued on or before April 5, 
would have to reapply and their applications will be subjected to heightened review. As mentioned earlier, they will likely be asked to submit a COVID-related health certificate and the consular processing time now is likely to be at least 14 days. The second major policy that impacted the ease of entry of travelers into Korea and of particular importance, of course, to the traveler is uh, the implementation of the 14-day quarantine requirement. So again, in early April, the Korean government required all travelers arriving in Korea to complete a 14-day quarantine at their own accommodation that must be a standalone residence like an apartment. Those without a standalone residence, you know, such as short-term visitors, would have to undergo the quarantine period at a government-designated facility. Um, Long-term visa holders, on the other hand, while not assigned to government facilities, will not be permitted to leave the airport unless they present an address of a standalone residence that can be confirmed by airport quarantine officers. So just to emphasize, Kenny, the Korean quarantine requirements are subject to a lot of discretion and change, even without prior notice. In fact, in one case, we had already provided guidance on entry and quarantine requirements to a long-term visa holder about to arrive in Korea. So prior to his arrival, we had specified that he will likely undergo the quarantine at the government-designated facility, which was the policy at that time. After his arrival, however, the immigration officer requested that he provide proof of his standalone residence instead. Of course, the employee had to secure accommodations to meet the officer's request, which he was luckily able to do. And this only illustrates just how quickly quarantine rules, uh, which are actually not set by the immigration authorities, can change without prior notice and therefore require flexibility. Um, finally, the most recent policy implemented is the requirement to obtain a re-entry permit and medical test from the country visited. And this is applicable for those foreign nationals currently residing in Korea. It also took effect only on June 1. So basically, most registered long-term visa holders, with some exceptions like those holding Korean ancestry visas, who want to leave but intend to return to Korea, must obtain a re-entry permit from the immigration office before leaving the country. I understand, Kenny, that this is this measure is actually a relic from many years ago, and that was pre that was previously discontinued and now re-implemented. At the time of the re-entry permit application, the long-term visa holder must submit a consent form for medical examination and submission of diagnosis before re-entering Korea. Upon his return to Korea, he must obtain a diagnosis report from a medical institution in the country he is visiting and present it before boarding his flight and upon re-entry to Korea at the immigration in the airport. Thanks, Faye. And I actually have to comment that I do remember the re-entry permit requirement from almost a decade ago. So to your point, that probably makes me a relic as well. Um, I think people may not appreciate really the gravity of the reintroduction of this re-entry permit requirement. Um, so what happens if the visa holder fails to obtain the re-entry permit or even to present the medical diagnosis? Well, uh, the government will cancel the visa and alien registration of long-term visa holders who depart South Korea without obtaining the re-entry permit. And even if they were able to obtain the re-entry permit, they will be prohibited from re-entering Korea if they fail to present the diagnosis report. So the foreign national will then have to reapply for a new work visa. Just to add to that, Faye, um, currently, Kenny, we're actually seeing a large number of requests 
to assist with this re-entry permit requirement, especially those who have travel plans in June and July. Of course, we can assist with obtaining this requirement, but we should be notified at least four weeks beforehand, ideally, given the current influx of re-entry permit requests right now. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Faye. So um, maybe we can turn a little bit. Um, South Korea has long, again, long had the re that reputation of having a streamlined, organized, and to a certain extent, fairly predictable immigration system. But you've now walked us through these drastic changes that are going on. And it's clear that Korean immigration policies are in a state of flux, or I should say, continuous refinement. That's right, Kenny. Um, since we're talking about relics here, I've actually been handling cases for Korea for um, about six years now. And in all those years, Korean immigration has been stable and to a certain extent, uh, I guess, predictable. But now immigration rules are changing in ways that are challenging to anticipate, even for people who have been uh, practitioners for quite some time. So the immigration office is now taking longer to review applications and has also become stricter. Prior to COVID-19, I recall the last major change in immigration policies was the requirement to provide an apostle diploma or work experience certificate uh, from foreign nationals applying for the E-7 special occupation visa. And this was back um, in early 2019 and only impacted a few cases. And even before that, the changes came few and uh, far between. So now our clients often remark that we've been able to swiftly assist with cases in the past with limited lead time. And um, I have to agree, that was true in the past. But today, I have to say that nearly uh, doubling our efforts may not suffice, where changes are being implemented at a rapid pace and where the authorities have taken a stricter stance. So all these changes just now really require us to be um, agile and adjust our existing mindset about Korean immigration. So I, I guess the main message is that um, Korean immigration policy is really evolving and we can no longer really adhere to what worked in the past or what may have worked in the past. So what measures are we at Fragment um, taking to support our clients throughout this, pre this period? Well, I think it's important to note that we at Fragment, of course, have also been experiencing the COVID-19 crisis along with our clients and have been with them every step of the way. Um, so what are we doing to support our clients? Uh, on that note, for starters, we research continuously and update our dedicated COVID-19 microsite um, on our website and explain the immigration and mobility changes related to the pandemic. We know that changes are being implemented at a, such a fast pace, and we have been uh, redoubling our efforts towards providing an organized source of updated information that the public can come to and rely on. Second, we uh, also provide comprehensive advice on specific impact to our ongoing cases and we also lay out possible options. I can understand that a lot of information can be viewed as overwhelming, and it can be difficult for a foreign national to gauge if his case is impacted, and if so, to what degree. So it is then our role to sift through all these information and advice on specific impact. To add to Angela's point, Kenny, we add value by regularly consulting with the immigration officers in Korea through our co-counsel. We ask them on the nuances of the rules and potential workarounds, which information is not readily available elsewhere. That's correct, Faye. Uh, we are also adding services to meet new requirements so that we can further support our clients through this uh, period. So by way of example, we have the re-entry permit, an exemption to medical diagnosis report, uh, which can be applied for when we find that there are good grounds to do so. 
So thanks, guys. Um, we've talked about a lot about um, the changes today. Um, while no one knows for sure what's in the future, and I won't hold you to it, is it safe to assume that some of these changes are here to stay? After Rikeni, a few months back, we were asking ourselves the very same question. As you said, no one really knows for sure as these policies were actually rolled out as a response to um, unprecedented events. But to address your question, we think that it's likely that until the COVID-19 situation in Korea subsides, we can likely expect all these measures to remain. So just to put things into some context, the Korean government is under immense pressure from the public and the media to act and prevent uh, the further influx of COVID-19, especially from outside sources. So that being said, it is rather expected for these restrictive measures that we've just uh, discussed to stay in place until the forces that caused them to be uh, put in place remain. And not to be such a doomsayer, but if hypothetically the COVID-19 situation in Korea were to worsen, uh, of course, we hope that it doesn't, but you earlier also referred to a possible um, second wave, right? Uh, then um, the government may potentially impose even more immigration restrictions and barriers than we see now. Uh, for example, it's also possible for them to suspend more nationals visa waiver privilege into Korea than we see now. Just to add, I'd like to comment specifically on the suspension of visa waiver privileges of selected nationals. I note that many of these were put in place as a measure of reciprocity of the Korean government to countries who had taken similar measures for Korean nationals entering those countries. So until those restrictions imposed on Korean nationals are lifted, we can likely expect Korea to continue to impose the same restrictions for nationals of those countries as well. So those are all very interesting points and really good for all of our clients to consider moving forward. Um, it has really become crucial for businesses to ensure that they do receive that solid support, um, especially in this period of uncertainty and change. And just to set those expectations with their internal stakeholders, that there are still a lot of unknowns. Um, so as for South Korea specifically, it does remain to be seen just how far we'll go from what was once um, the status quo. So thank you, Angela and Faye, for joining me in this discussion. Kenny, uh, that was fun. <laughs> Thanks, Kenny. Um, but I think the story is far from over, so we might just have to do this uh, again soon. Thanks, Angela. I hope not too soon, but I hope <laughs> listeners did pick up um, helpful points from our discussion. And if any of you have any questions, please visit our website and feel free to contact our Korea team. Uh, thank you again, uh, everyone, for tuning in to the Immigration Conversation and for listening to the new abnormal in Korean immigration, part of Fragment's Asia-Pacific Insight Series. And please follow us on LinkedIn and our website, www.fragment.com, for the latest updates and content from the series. Thanks, everyone. The Immigration Conversation podcast is presented by Fragment the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. To stay updated on the most current trends and services worldwide, visit our website at www.fragman.com for the latest podcast episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is current as of the date of publication. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any viewer and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the global immigration professional with whom you work at Fragamin.